So I think um, at the moment, I'm not afraid of my perpetrators and I can face my perpetrator. I can listen, we can sit together and talk to, to, to each other. Um, but at the same time, um, I have some of the perpetrators, members of the groups that came to my house, they are not ready for that. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Blum, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Listen. Hey everybody, this is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen, and as always, I'm delighted with today's guest who will introduce himself. Um, yeah, Freddie, please go ahead. Yeah, yes, I'm uh, Freddie Mutanguha. I'm uh, from Rwanda, I'm based in Kigali. Uh, I work for um, Aegis Trusts, which is a um, um, UK-based uh, non-profit, which uh, the main aim for Aegis Trusts is to prevent genocide and mass atrocities and and the violence around the world. We, Aegis Trust actually um, founded in 2000. And this is actually um, after the family uh, that found this, um, uh, this um, um, Aegis Trust, they, after the, the tremendous work they did to create the Holocaust um, a memorial in Nottinghamshire and in, North, in Nottinghamshire, in the UK, uh, which is the National Holocaust Memorial uh, today. And from that experience, uh, it is trust being invited by the uh, government of Rwanda and, and um, the survivors of genocide get Tutsi in Rwanda to build up and, and establish the Kigali Genocide Memorial, where we are based. It's a place of remembrance. It's a place where more than 250,000 uh, victims of genocide are buried. Alongside the mass graves, we build um, a museum to explain what happened, the um, process uh, from the um, when the the uh, ideology of genocide started, the process of uh, the whole steps actually went through uh, to genocide, and after the genocide, how Rwandans are trying to. Um, to overcome the challenges of um, genocide and the consequences of genocide. Aegis Trust in Rwanda created um, a peace education program, which is uh, much more a program that supports um, the communities and young people uh, to develop the skills and uh, values of critical thinking, empathy, personal responsibility, to build a trust. Uh, among society and be able to resist the uh, manipulation, the pressure manipulation, the pressure, the politic of, uh, you know, the those um, uh, manipulation that really can be uh, deviate people to be human. So this is education that activates human, uh, human being to be human being with the values of humanity. So, um, 
the program has been embedded into the national curriculum. Uh, more than two and a half million uh, young people and students in Rwanda actually they get this uh, program, mm -hmm. and the program has been um, of course shared because this is really a very huge learning uh, based on the. Uh, the history of Rwanda, based on the history of genocide in Rwanda, but also the history of forgiveness and, 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 and reconciliation in Rwanda. They've been shared with um, many other countries in Africa, in Kenya, um, South Sudan, Central African Republic, Nigeria, um, Zimbabwe, and many other countries. So we thought that this is what um, a human being can teach human being uh, by looking what the positive uh, stories um, because what we do is uh, story-based stories mm -hmm. and exactly the, the methodology that we use in our education. Oh, questions for you around this and um, is, is uh, you know, just for those listeners who don't know um, and, and they should, but, you know, uh, that is what always happens with, with history, unfortunately. They don't know what had happened in, in Rwanda. Maybe you can uh, kind of s summarize that. Um, yeah. And then the second question that I have for you is, how did you then get involved with Aegis Trust? And since when? Yeah, oh, definitely, yes. And, and I'm happy to share that, uh, first of all, uh, about Rwanda. Uh, trying to help people to locate geographically where Rwanda is, the yeah. African countries that mm -hmm. we call it the heart of Africa because it's right small country in the middle of Africa, and and they're very difficult to 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 see it on uh, African map, but it's a landlocked country, mm -hmm. small but very beautiful. Very we we also call it the the land of thousand hills. Uh, because it's beautiful hills and and it's made of beautiful hills and so many hills actually um, very green and very uh, with um with you know the the, the greenish is 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 incredible um, but it's a country that um, also had bad news and and good news at the moment uh, bad news that because um, it's a country that um, uh, went through a very difficult time. Uh, where the uh, it experienced the the genocide get Tutsi, where a million of um, the Tutsi have been killed in a very cruel way, and this actually take roots uh, back in um, in nineteen uh, hundred uh, years uh, when the uh, colonial uh, masters actually reached out in Rwanda uh, when. Rwanda was colonized first by German and later on after the First World War uh, by um, the Belgians. And uh, the common um, things that colonialists brought to Rwanda is division, uh, which um, the people who for many years and centuries been living together in harmony, the Tutsi, the Twa, and the Hutus, the Tutsi being um, being cattle helders and the, the, the farmers are Hutus. And, um, but those people really lived in harmony and they were not racial, they were not ethnic groups, 
but they were actually uh, having different style of living. But when the colonialists came to Rwanda, they made it a racial. They made it uh, because of their politics of dividing the rule. They even say that you're not you're not um, uh, the same people. You came from different different uh, region, and you're completely different people. And then that ha- and then the state to favor uh, one group against another one. And um, you know, in uh, in Africa for uh, development, people have to. We didn't have a machinery to make roads. Uh, the people have to to work hard. So so the so the the this division that brought by um, the um, European colonial masters um, have been there for long and then the hatred between Tutsi and Hutu actually grew up until um, the Hutu uh, majority people, they were by colonials put them on power, but not only to be on power and the big big good leaders, but they've been so against the Tutsis. Um, Since um, uh, 1959, the Tutsi have been persecuted uh, they are deprived with the basic um, uh, human right, and um, so many Tutsis have been killed in 1959, and then so many have been uh, managed to leave the country. This hatred actually uh, continue for the what they call internal enemies, the, those who couldn't uh, manage to leave the country. They've been persecuted, they've been imprisoned, they've been killed. They've been um, their cutters and their their houses been banned uh, until the final solution, 1994, where among them one million Tutsis have been killed. Oh, yeah. So uh, this is actually a country that uh, also was saved because this happened where the international people, international community have been watching. They've been aware about what was going on. The UN were there. To um uh, to protect civilians, but this didn't prevent um the, the the genocide to happen. So, but the courageous uh, young Rwandans they said no to the genocide. They decide to to fight the government that been killing uh, people, mm-hmm. and these young people um that was actually in um in a um, movement they called uh, the Rwanda Patriotic Front. Um, they managed to overthrow the, uh, the government and they stopped the genocide. Um, and then um, the new government that was put in a place promoted the uh, reconciliation and forgiveness between perpetrators and survivors. Today we're talking about, we're talking about genocide definitely because it's, it's, um, it's our history, it's, um, is a part of our life. We know that we need to talk about it, to remember it, and remember the victims. And also, we are talking about forgiveness and reconciliation. I'm a survivor of genocide. I lost um, my parents and my four sisters, and also my extended family, aunties, uncles, my cousins, and others. Actually, I can count even around 80 members of my family that have been killed in just a course of two weeks. But I feel that 
I'm in the journey of reconciliation. I'm in journey of forgiveness. I will do it for myself first because I cannot, um, I feel the, um, the importance uh, to live with that um, uh, idea to forgive your um, perpetrator. Because living with, um, with anger, living with the hatred, it's much more heavy and much more um, destroying your, your life than living with um, uh, being part of the forgiveness. But also I do it uh, for my country because in our lifetime as a survivors of genocide, it's very important to break this cycle of violence. It's very, very important that our children and the children of our children, they live in the country with a peaceful country. If we miss that opportunity as in our lifetime as survivors, this, our country will be completely um, destroyed. The cycle of violence will never stop. There will never be a peace. But as we speak today, Rwanda is uh, the top um, safest, safest country in, in Africa. And this is because of that commitment. Very clear. Actually, the, um, the uh, economy is uh, coming back on track. It's one of the growing economic country in Africa. And this is because people, perpetrators and survivors and many people and, and people in the country, they managed to come together and work together. So it's um, something that um, uh, we, we embraced and we feel that very proud, of course, because um, now having a safest country, which was 30 years ago, uh, was very, very um, dangerous country. That's really huge and tremendous progress. So um, this is the Rwanda. Um, how did I get involved into AG Trusts? Of course, 10 years later, when AG Trust was introduced to Rwanda, uh, the main purpose for AG Trust was invited to build the, uh, the memorial. And the memorial that commemorates the victims, but also talk more about the history of genocide and mainly focusing on the history of genocide. I was, as a survivor, is part of my life. As a survivor, I felt that this is, a, I can make a contribution. So I was hired to work with Egypt Trust in 2004. Mm -hmm. um, and then when the memorial was opened, I was really um, uh, supporting in the way of documenting um, actually the history, collecting the the materials that used for the exhibition, including paper-based materials, testimonies, uh, testimonies from uh, survivors, from uh, even perpetrators who confess and regret what they did. And also they want to embrace uh, the journey of reconciliation with survivors. That's a really great story to tell. And we have uh, the stories of uh, rescuers, those people during genocide, they even risk their lives to save lives of the people who have been targeted. And we all alive because someone in Rwanda know, and those people who do not have really munitions, they're not powerful people, but they had a heart to save our lives. So this is um, a good story to collect and have been part of 
the um the building up the Kigali Genocide Memorial, which is a very, very world-class exhibition about the that is built the backbone of the the content of the um the Kigali Genocide Memorial is um is based on uh, storytelling and from those uh, various categories of people which is really very a good learning place um and we think this uh, really is going to have an impact uh, to the learning of the world so um i'm uh, was um i was hired as a data collector uh, and the head of documentation um few years later, the director of the memorial. And today I'm learning an uh, NGO that really has a responsibility to run the memorial, which is a trust. And as a CEO of that uh, uh, NGO, which now is working globally to prevent um, mass atrocities and hatred and uh, discrimination and yeah, around the world. It's a, a remarkable story, and I've I've I heard you, uh, you know, explain this uh, as well when we met for the first time in in Sweden a couple of months ago. Uh, um, what what the listeners don't know is that because you were alluding to you know during that when the genocide was going on, mm. we had of course people that were part of the Hutus that were not accepting this that were you know trying to protect uh the see yeah. right and and one of those was was your best friend from school um and and um yeah how is he doing um unfortunately he passed away oh. and um he didn't live long um after genocide two years later he passed away and it was unfortunate that i didn't see him um really after genocide to say thank you um but with so many people in rwanda have done uh, the same um because i was hidden when they attacked my house and my uh, my family i was hidden in the, under his bed and um if i wouldn't be there they would find me at my house and they would take kill me together with others other people and other people in my family so he did great because uh, of his heart. Unfortunately, God have taken him because uh, maybe God loves uh, good people <laughs> as we do. Um, but we have a good news that is that um, we have many, many people who save the lives in Rwanda. And those people, their stories and, the, and their stories, it's an education uh, for young people on how you can um actually stand up uh, against injustice which is really one of the values and and the values that people should have mm. make sure that when you look at injustice happening you don't look away you have to stand up you have to speak up and you use your means to make sure that you save lives it's an, it's, it's really a learning point for us yeah incredible uh, story Freddie and you know we are uh, when we are talking about this unfortunately the world uh, many places in the world are you know they're experiencing war you know, hatred between 
um, you know, um, inhabitants of, of different countries. Um, and how, how, yeah, how is, how is your, because you're traveling around, so, so, um, your organization is not only focusing on on Rwanda, right? It's it's uh, trying to assist uh, people in many uh, countries. Yeah. Um, yeah. How is how is that going? You know, and and how do you approach this? Yeah, I think the main um, the main message we give we take to Rwanda is to other countries mm -hmm. is the good news about how peace is possible you need to invest in of course it's a long investment it takes time it takes a huge uh you know education process but what is very good is that wherever the atrocities happen or any you know post genocide post conflict and um happened there is a the the, the road to peace to forgiveness and for reconciliation is possible. We do it with the concrete examples of uh, survivors and perpetrators who came together to for reconciliation process. We take these lessons to other countries, including uh, those who've been experiencing um, uh, atrocities and, and, and mass violence. But also it's um, a lesson to countries which um, believe they never have this um, this violence that happened in their own communities, because this is about human values. This is about uh, what we need to learn to prevent anything to happen. We shouldn't wait um, the violence to happen in a, in a community to in order to bring this good news. We should make sure that so many people in different uh, communities, they embrace those values and the skills to be able to identify the but the actually all the steps to violence, to make sure that in any case, in any time in that community, this um, violence never happened. So the lessons we get from Rwanda is not only for the post-conflict uh, situation, but it's also a lifetime a life um, uh, style for anyone around the world. Around the world. Anyway, the, the, we have enough hatred and discrimination in, in, uh, globally. So um, we take this uh, content and this uh, program as an antidote for hate um, in any case and any context around the world. How did you? How was your own journey within that? Because you know, you you explained to me and to, to us, you you lost your own parents, you lost your sisters. So how? And and then at a certain moment, you you explained to me also in, in Sweden that you faced your perpetrators and and um, you know you are able to move on somehow. Yeah, that's how did you do that? Yeah, um, I'm an area of peace building, and and also as I said, um, I'm committed to peace. 
because I understand the cost of violence. I understand the cost of absence of the peace. I've been off on myself. I've been suffering to not have family and this, um, this um, uh, uh, actually didn't have a time to enjoy family because they were, they were gone before I get um, really to, to enjoy them. <laughs> That's actually the cost of, of, of lack of peace. I want my children to have, actually to enjoy having me and, and having my wife and, and actually family and having this life together. I want actually so committed to make sure that um, my, in my lifetime, I do something. So from that commitment and for the work I do to teach about peace, I, I cannot give what I don't have. I need to make sure that if, if I take, because I'm a teacher by profession, I, I develop curriculums. I develop curriculum for the peace education program. So to be able to do that, I should test myself and make sure that what I'm writing down, what I'm developing, I'm delivering to in the classrooms and, and, and uh, to people, it's exactly what is in my heart. So, um, so that balance uh, made me to make a step to, uh, to, um, uh, to, to, to visit even my perpetrator in, in the prison. But we know um, in Rwanda, we had um, a like what we can I can call the uh, a, a justice systems that really were based on our tradition. That was a hybrid system uh, where the uh, people in the village called gachacha, people um, to be able to um, to provide um, to be able to provide um, adjusted to survivors, given an, a huge number of perpetrators in the country. Was not possible to have, to to use it to use the normal and um, and and uh, traditional uh, not I mean the um, today's uh, justice um, which I think you need to go to the court you have to have lawyers and have to do all those uh, very modern way of doing peace uh, uh, um, I mean um, justice. So the Rwandan decided to go back into our, into our own tradition. How do, do we use to resolve our conflict when something did wrong? So, um, uh, uh, it, so by using kachacha, uh, some of the perpetrators, because kachacha is much more restorative justice. It's, um, it's a justice that is done in a village where the wise people are elected to be the judges. And when it goes to wide to wise people, it encouraging people to tell the truth. So many perpetrators have been encouraged even by their own families to ask for forgiveness so that um so that they can reconcile with um with the survivors who are their neighbors. So once they they ask for forgiveness and tell the truth, their sentences have been reduced as well. As uh, uh, so, as a result of actually cooperation and a result of um, telling the truth to the community, but also the commitment 
to not repeat that and also to embrace reconciliation forgiveness. Um, some of the perpetrators now, they have finished their sentences and many of our perpetrators, the people who attacked our house, people who attacked my family and killed my family, some of them actually had released and back to the community. So when I go back to the village, I meet them. I see them because they are the people I knew and they knew, my, they knew me as well. And um, so I and, and had to cope with that one, which is, which is not easy at some point because it takes me 17 years to cope with that one, to be able to do it. So, um, so I think um, at the moment, I'm not afraid of my perpetrators and I can face my perpetrator. I can listen, we can sit together and talk to, to, to each other. Um, but at the same time, um, I have some of the perpetrators, members of the groups that came to my house, they are not ready for that. They try to actually to put a screen of what, uh, what I can offer in terms of forgiveness. Um, but it's, tough, it, it's okay because we know uh, forgiveness is on both sides perpetrator side and <laughs> survivor side it takes time it takes process it takes actually it's much more personal it's individual it's individual you cannot impose uh, on on any situation so um so that's the fact i feel i'm um and and um, this is my work at the same time but it's also my commitment to uh, to do something in my lifetime for my country, for my, 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 my own, actually for my own emotion, but my, my own uh, children. And um, actually, it, I think it's very, very important that I managed to do that. We have so many survivors who didn't do that and, and wouldn't manage. I cannot blame anyone to not do it because I know it's very personal. You know, Freddie, I always ask my guest um, a question about uh, what are some of the things that you worry about at the moment? And and I will tell you, I worry about, you know, so much war at the moment, about, you know, of course, climate, uh, the, the way we treat our world. Um, I, I worry about it. And then I ask also, you know, where do you see hope? And, and today I'm going to answered you know those two questions myself where i see hope is you know when i listen to you um and and uh, yeah listen to your stories and and um how you were coping with your situation it's uh yeah that gives me a lot of of hope so thank you for that um yeah, in everything you do um you know you 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 refer to uh to god and but what is interesting um, is you know that this particular podcast is a spin-off of a 100-mile walk that I started in 2012 uh, to raise awareness and funds to, you know, um, to end hunger, poverty, injustice. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, during COVID, I couldn't walk with others. So I started this podcast. So I'm virtually walking with you now. <laughs> yeah. um, so very often when, when I walk, even when I virtually walk, you know, we... We talk about 
why are we on this earth what drives you um and we start talking about spirituality and about religion yes and um what i'm interested in is that you know what is happening with the younger generation around the world in in the west um i think less and less people are going to church that doesn't mean that they necessarily are are not spiritual Mm. Um, my question to you is because you're you are referring a lot within your stories to the younger generation because they pulled rwanda Mm. you know out of this this you know difficult and terrible situation um if you look at the the younger generation in your community what do you see happening uh with regard to religion and spirituality yeah um th- that's a good question that's a really good question um uh, and and i know that there's a role that um faith leaders can play to lift up the faith of young people in order to build peace and love in the in the, in, in the world um i know that um you know for example before genocide um those people who who were actually uh, the perpetrators they they had they had actually religion they've been going to uh to to you know to to, to services and been catholic they've been um they've been protestant they've mm-hmm. been um, a different um denomination that's really teaches love and 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 and, and but for s- the reason i don't understand um the faith in these um you know difficulties and challenges that the 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 the, the um the world is going through we're not seeing really a huge impact of the faith at this time there's um effort that faith leaders need to need to make there is um i think they should cross a line of not trying to align uh to atrocities and the violence and the ideas that really divide people mm-hmm. it should actually pushing and focusing more on um what they teach should be what they see in a practice mm-hmm. so um and this is actually what make uh, young people this time to be confused mm-hmm. because if you're faith person you meant to be peaceful person that's actually how we learn and how we that we get teaching but it's not as you just mentioned the fact that you don't go to church that is not because you're not you don't have faith but having faith what the impact of having um is it making you to 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 be a peaceful person but that's actually what i see there is a gap mm. in what we expect from the faith and from the um faith leaders to support um uh, to support us to support young people um there is a work to be done mm-hmm. not to leave uh, the world like this man for example um when we uh, we look at actually remains and the kigarjans memorial you find um people people been uh, when we exhume their remains actually have rosaries and that, that means they've been praying mm-hmm. but those people who killed them they were actually people who've been going to church together so when you look at that one what the faith did in between mm-hmm. 
between victims and and perpetrators so um we also have um uh, we have also the cases in rwanda for example the priests have been themselves involved mm. in the killing and and also um being involved in preparing all these um, uh, killings to the Tutsis and priests killing their followers and the pastors being against their followers themselves. And, and, then, and I think we, we shouldn't, um, there's something that doesn't click <laughs> on me because um, the faith is not doing really um, what um, the faith leaders are not doing what they are supposed to do this time so so freddie do you see then that the younger generation is uh walking away from religion you know are they walking away from a church from the churches from the from the mosques from um what do you see happening among this younger generation um from my point of view Based on the cases, for example, in Africa and Rwanda, mm -hmm. you see a lot of young generation going to church. Okay. But what the impact this church is having to them? Because they do, they go to church as a as a mass. Maybe in the Western world is completely different. I've seen it, mm -hmm. uh, but in Africa they go there, but they go back. They do exactly the opposite of they learn from church. So, so it's it's um it's it's, and then it question you question yourself is is he is he having an impact, going to church has make have a meaning have any, uh, any um benefit uh, to peace, um, and then we have other, young people who say why should I go to church because, I don't feel I don't feel transformed when I get there. And they need this transformation. I think this is something that the um, faith leaders and church uh, leaders have to help the young people and focus on on the really the um, teaching of um, what the Bible says or the Quran says or or other um, really holy uh, document. I mean, holy uh, messages. Freddy, I would like to go to the other thing that worries me, and that is, uh, you know, our world. Um, mm. It's not going well. Um, and, and, and actually, as, as a world, we identified 17 sustainable development goals, goals that we should reach in order to make our, yeah. you know, our world whole again, uh, sustainable. Um, a recent report came out and it says that, you know, on average, we are at only 15% of those goals. Mm. And, um, you know, one of the reasons is that there is a poly crisis going on, you know, wars, uh, COVID happened. But a growing group of people, as you know, because it, that's where we, we met, um, says that, you know, one of the reasons that we are not reaching those goals is related uh, with the fact that we don't pay proper attention to yeah. the knowledge, skills, and abilities that we need as individual individuals and communities. Mm. So as a result, they came up with 
you know, five inner development goals, being, mm -hmm. thinking, relating, collaborating, and action. So, mm -hmm. yeah, um, two quick questions uh, to you. Um, what do you want the listeners to know about the sustainable development goals, you know, in a sentence? Mm -hmm. And um, what are your thoughts about the inner development goals? Yeah, um, yes, I think and agree with your statement that um, when they put in place the um, sustainable uh, development goals, um, they did it with a very good intention. And um, they defined these 17, uh, 17 uh, sustainable development goals with a huge intention and so well thought. And to be honest, this if we are able to implement and follow those um, uh, 17 um, uh, uh, sustainable development goals, the, um, it will save the world. And I really congratulate those who identify them. The question is, as you just mentioned, how do we put in practice and in, 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 in actually into our life uh, style and our life, how does, become part of our life in, 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 in as a human being. And as you just mentioned, of course, uh, the, this lack of skills, the lack of knowing how, not actually to, to, to the lack of knowing how on how to implement them and put it in practice. And there's a lack of um, even the understanding of those sustainable development goals, it's become a, a still a myth uh, for many people around the, uh, around the globe. So um, as you just mentioned, uh, the inner development uh, skills are very, very important. And the question is how many times, how many people these inner development, inner development goals is reaching to, those skills that embedded into inner development how many people it reaches to. And I think for, for me, the best way is to embed it into our workplace. Uh, is have to, those skills need to be uh, taught and embedded in our lifestyle, our homes and families and communities, so that um, they can help us actually to lift up the uh, sustainable uh, development goals. Um, so I think this lack of skills, the lack of understanding and lack of, um, or know how to, to make it part of our lives, um, by developing those, the right skills to do, to, 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 for that, that's what's lacking. And I think, uh, we should call, um, uh, you know, the world leaders to pay attention to that. And we should call the, uh, policymakers to implement and, and also to, um, uh, to, to embed into the, the workplaces because actually it's beneficial for all of us because we are all committed to a sustainable development goals. We should actually understand how to get to that point as well. No, th thanks, Freddie. Um, you know, what, what I hope uh, to do with this podcast is also to, you know, share the world uh, that there are 
you know, different opinions, but if you really uh, listen carefully, there are things that, um, you know, you can, you, you, can, you probably can agree with, agree yeah. on, and then start a discussion. So even a person where you think, oh, he's so far, you know, I, I, from where I stand, if you really listen carefully, there are always points where you can start a discussion and a dialogue. That is really important. So I'm trying to connect people with each other. And um, so that's not only, you know, you with the listeners, but also you with the previous guests. So I have a question for you mm. um, from the previous guest. And um, she said... For me, I know I have my moments where I do find that balance between work and, work and home life, um, you know, conflicting. Just kind of what maybe something along the lines like how to you know what made you most successful in your most pressing moments where you had to put that balance in where work was pressing everything out of you home was pressing out of you what what kind of techniques and uh, interpersonal skills did you use to kind of get through those things? Mm -hmm. Wow, <laughs> that's a good question. Of course, I need to acknowledge that balancing work and home life can be challenging, mm. especially when um, those moments uh, where we uh, both actually side um, requires a significant amount of attention uh, from you. It's become a challenging. For on my, my side, um, as I know, I'm, um, I'm a family person, but I have a highly demanding <laughs> work that I'm committed to. So um, I think the way to do it is to um, I actually to be open in your communication. You need to, um, my, my strategy I use, I'm not very uh, uh, high organized person, but at the same time, the, the minimum you can do mm -hmm. is to be, to, to, to be transparent and also to be to have open communication to a family. They have to understand what you do. They have to understand um, your, your, um, your workload at the same time. And then it's very important, uh, for example, what I do, uh, my, my wife is my, uh, is my best friend, is my best, um, <laughs> um, I consult her so, on so many things. And even if she, there's so many things she doesn't understand, I make sure that I really uh, involve her in what I'm doing, which actually uh, they feel um, she's so supportive uh, in, in a way that um, it can help me to be uh, productive in my work. I'll give you an example. Um, last time I was here, I came to to US. Um, she was only uh, three days after she she have a nine months um uh, boy, <laughs> and um and then nobody could imagine and 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 myself I couldn't really imagine that after three days uh, she uh, actually and uh, um she my boy my boy came actually was born and I have to leave and that be in other side of the world that was really painful. I didn't want to do it, but it was necessary to be done. But she was aware about it for 
a couple of uh, months. So she knew that after she delivered and have to leave. And it was that that was pressing. I didn't want to stay with my baby. I want to support her. I want to support my wife. And then to be close to my wife because this time is really difficult time for her. But also have to leave and, and go. So the fact that she was involved, and this didn't really affect very much um actually our relationship or anything. Um, as I mentioned, I'm not really high organized person, but if I will be, um, I try my best to, to um, to 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 prioritize, and 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 creating a daily schedule and breaking down a large project into manageable step, steps. And uh, uh, so, and I think it's it's very very important also when you understand and you are able to, um, to break down um your tasks actually putting into priorities you are able so to um uh, you are able also to um to delegate because um of course if you you have a huge task and a huge uh, workload and you don't have anyone to give you uh, and and to 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 support you on, on what you're doing that's become more challenging but uh, delegation is also another uh, way another strategy to to get to um uh, uh, to support yourself to keep the balance and that equilibrium mm -hmm. between uh, the the home and and uh, and the work life. Um, the other thing I want to uh to, in terms of you asked me about the skills, I think the the first thing I mentioned before is about communication. But um, that you need to be open to your colleagues, you need to open to your uh, to your family, but also um, we need to make sure that um, even your colleagues understand your, your your workload. But also you need to be flexible because so many things come comes on. Um, they come actually by surprise. But if you have to, if you your a person that uh, have flexibility, but at the same time, you recognize that it's kind of a surprise. Does my wife know? Does my work actually how it 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 affect my work? Um, um, my work actually, is flexibility is very very important, uh, which uh, I think I would recommend. Um, so other than that, um, I think is um, I know that. Um, maintaining a healthy balance between my work and my uh, private family. Uh, it, it's actually a continuous uh, process mm. and it's a continuous effort and it requires actually adaptation, which is, which is very, very important. I think um, we need to be aware about this one. And, mm. But, um, you know, it, 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 the communication is very, very key into this one. Mm. Uh, your question for the next guest. Um, so my question for your next guest is that, yeah, um, we see what is going on. We see a lot of initiatives 
about uh, to make this world much more peaceful. But yet this world is not peaceful, peaceful at all. What can we do different, differently? Uh, we know that we have a lot of initiatives and we have so many trainings and people actually very highly skilled to even share those skills to, to others. We have good people. We have also other people who do not really uh, get uh, into the process of uh, making this world uh, peaceful. So, and these have been there for long. And in order to bring back hope, what, the, what can we do as a human being? And what can we differently to make this world a better place to live? Looking forward to, to the answer of the next guest. I'm happy that I don't have to do it. <laughs> um, thanks for that, Freddy. Um, hey, music is very important to me. Um, I, I think it's also important to you. If I remember, you were, you know, when the yeah. music starts to play in, in Sweden, you were on the dance floor, right? So, <laughs> um, if I ask you to come up with a piece of music or a song that embodies for a big part what you are about, which song or, or piece of music would that be and why? Um, that's a lot challenging because I like a lot of music. <laughs> I have a particular music, but it's much more based on uh, on Rwandan uh, Rwandan music uh, that speaks more about love and and um, resilience and and uh, and you know that's really so love and resilience uh, uh, part of music. I, I like that. And that's really encouraging people to, um, you know, to um, promote love, compassion, um, you know, empathy, and also resilience to the challenges that we have around the world. Those music are much more embedded in so many um, musics in, in, in Rwanda. Um, but I'm very, very sure that uh, this actually it can affect so many hearts and so many people. Um, so can we, can uh, we find uh, those songs on on Spotify or YouTube? Yeah, um, the some yeah I can, I can I can send you some of the um, uh, some. Can you, can you uh, maybe name one of the artists who who uh, of such a song? Um, you know we have. Um, Lady, her name is. Uh, she's a little bit in in, in late seventies, seventies, uh, and and she, her name is Kairebo, and and um, I will send you the right spelling. Is Kairebo K A Y I R E B W A? Okay. Yeah, Cecil, Cecil. You understand how Cecil, Cecil, yeah. And and the name of the song? Um, she has a lot of songs, and 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 and, and um, yeah, yeah, she has a lot of songs. You can, I can, I can check and send some of to you. <laughs> okay, 
because what what we are going to do is is I will add them to the Spotify mm. playlist that we have made with all the songs that um, yeah were selected by my by my guests and you they can you know the guests to remind you and and uh, mm. my listeners is the, or yeah. our listeners is that if you go to Spotify and you search for hashtag walk talk listen that Spotify yeah. playlist should pop up and uh, we will add that uh, song yes um, as well or the, the two or three songs that you're going to send me uh yes i was i sent those to you ready okay. hey um yeah any any no but what i would like to ask you is that you know in in the us um a, a person um you know of of the television cbs of the t channel cbs mm -hmm. his name is steve hartman he examines um how one simple act of kindness uh mm -hmm. creates a ripple effect i have two questions uh for you about that one is what do you what are your thoughts about you know the the potential of a simple act of kindness and the second question that i have is if i ask you to come up now right now on the spot um to commit to one simple act of kindness this week what would you do Yes, that's a really <laughs> good question. I will um I was so because I was talking to my uh to my um daughters this morning. She she she's now going to into a fundraising for breast cancer uh people in Rwanda. And and I think that was an act of kindness because she she took that initiative. She asked the um uh, her um her colleagues to do it, and she they are collecting. And she was asking me money to to at the school that she feel that she need to to do it. And I think I was so inspired this morning with with her because she sent me a text in the morning, and I'm thinking that um let's not even in this interview not go beyond that because I think I was so uh so happy to to contribute to that uh even if connecting me with um with me while I'm here it's um it's it's it I feel so good about this one so she's now is 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 complete I think is because of timing but it, it was um uh Friday and and um, the after school, she was organizing other kids to uh, to collect some money for uh, breast cancer, which is which is um, something that I really liked. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> and, and I'll, 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 I'll continue in that way um, and support her, of course. Great. And and do you believe that that you know one simple act of kindness can create a ripple effect? Yeah, definitely. Um because I think when some because some some people um they are really <laughs> they're experiencing a lot of uh hatred and and the pushback and and um so when you find someone who really um actually exercise an act of kindness 
small or big, can really have be a turning point for people's life um, in terms of um, actually going, actually being being hopeful on their own lives and be confident for their lives. So I think um, an act of, of kindness can be a turning point of our lives. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Um, these conversations always go fast, uh, Freddie. Eh? Um, yeah, maybe any any last message or an invitation or a question for the listeners? Yeah. Um, my message to to the listeners, um, I know uh, Walk Talk listeners actually, um, they wanted to have something probably important while they are, of course, working. And it's 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 very important to listen to something very important. Um, I think what it's not just about listening; it's about also acting. I think uh, while you listen to my voice today, what are you committing to? Actually, to be part of um, of this, uh, what are you committing to? Individual or to the world, whatever capacity, whatever uh, you think um, can be coming in your mind, what can you do to be kind and to make sure that you make someone smile? And that's goal number five of the inner development goals, right? Being, yeah. <laughs> thinking, relating, collaborating, and the last one, acting. Yes, um, yes acting, yeah. Yeah, and any question that I should have asked you but did not? I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, that's enough question, I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Then I, then I would like to thank you so much, uh, Freddy, to, to make time to talk with me today. I know, you know, your schedule is, is extremely busy. would like to thank you for everything you do. Um, it's, you know, the way we, we met for the first time in, uh, during the Inner Development Goals Summit, uh, in, you know, this past summer. And um, during food, actually, we were both yeah, yeah, having having food, and and then we started talking. And uh, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. I, I I'm I'm so thankful for for the, that we started talking and we met each other, and that um, was able now also to have you as as a guest and on on the podcast. So so um, yeah, thank you so much. You are welcome. Thank you. This is really very important, and I really you're doing great job. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.